Assalamualaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam with Tariq Alameen. I am he. You can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's the handle at Radio Islam USA. Also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. We are wherever you get your podcasts at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Spotify, right? Wherever. Just run down the list. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, family, uh, we must first, before we get into today, first, we've got to thank our sponsor, Recycle Processes. Thank you for your continued support. And with that, good people, I am happy to get into another, another movie talk segment with my brother, Bubba Murray. Now, for those, yes, right. Now, for those of you who do not know, Bubba Murray is an award-winning writer, director hailing from Oak Park, Illinois. His background includes receiving the ABC Writing Fellowship, writing for Desperate Housewives, participating in the NBC Diversity Scene Showcase twice, and being accepted into the Fox Writing Initiative. Most recently, his short film, Robox, won the Best Children's Film in the 2017 International Black Film Festival. And last year, 2018, his film, Awake, debuted at the Windy City Film Festival and was also seen at the Chicago Horror Fest, Welcome, welcome, welcome! Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. We um, we have we've we've talked about some some interesting films and stuff. And, and first, I want to tell you all who may be listening for the first first time. One of the things that we do with this segment is we talk about movies, films, uh, series, stuff that you can see on your basic. Uh, streaming services. Yeah, so and you, you should be able to have access to it. We'll and yeah, we'll do TV. Like I said, we'll do TV shows, movies. Uh, shorts, whatever, uh, but it's really just like those visual arts. Right, right. So we have got a really good one today. Now, this is something that um, I think this was off of your recommendation. I believe so. I believe yeah. so. So I, I I heard about it from you, and this is something that those who have Prime, if you have Prime, you can go and check this out. This is called The Boys, and it's one season, so it's a, a weekend of binge-watching or a real hardcore day because I think it's only eight episodes. Correct. Yeah. So actually you can get this done. If you just have that, if you got that kind of day, you can, you can definitely one good day. If you're, if you have the computer in front of you, you can put it on in the corner, you know, just put up a little dummy screen. If the boss walks by, <laughs> there you go. Tips, tips, tips. So with, uh, so this, this series is for those who enjoy superheroes, um, I mean, it's not it's not a, a Marvel. It's based on an independent comic book, but it is based on a comics called called The Boys. Okay, so first, what we want to do is want to kind of give you, uh, let you know who's behind the scenes, who are the, who are some of the uh, showrunners that that'll give you an idea of what to expect. So, who is the first name that we need to really be uh, paying attention to? Seth Rogen, and you know when you know when he's involved in a project, it's going to be outlandish. It's, it's really gonna push the envelope. So that's just, that should let you know what you're in store for. Yeah, yeah. And so this is not your typical superhero uh, story. And I'm not sure, and, and we'll wait for you to let us know, because I did not follow the graphic novel, so I don't know how closely um, it, it stayed. You know, I did a little bit of, 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 of research. Uh, some of the characters, like one of the characters, flew in the graphic novel, but in the in the series, she didn't fly, right? I think that's Maeve, right? Right, Maeve. So... This, um, so in front of the camera, we got Carl Urban, Jack Quaid, Anthony Starr, Aaron Moriarty, Dominic McElligot, Jesse T. Usher. 
who is from uh, Survivor's Remorse. Yeah, he had a uh, he was the basically the, the star of that. Laz Alonzo, Chase Crawford, Tomer Capone, and Karen Fukuhara. Um, so that kind of rounds out. Oh, there are a couple extra. So the, the ones I wanted to mention, the, my favorites, Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue, especially yes. when you had um, Cobra Kai. So more Karate Kid love and a uh, special cameo, Simon Pegg. For those of you who are yes. familiar with uh, uh, Shaun of the Dead, St- Star Trek, yeah. Mission Impossible, but that is the same guy, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So uh, the I'm you know they've got some really powerful names in this. Yeah, and Elizabeth Shue for for you more seasoned uh, listeners, uh, uh, you you also remember her from Back to the Future. Yes. Right, and that's what I was looking. At. I was like, man, I recognize her face. Like, but what has happened? Well, what has happened is. 20 years have gone by or more, and we're just all getting older. So Don't say that. Yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> Although it's the truth, and the truth does hurt. Anyway, so the premise of this show, right, and we don't want to give away too much. We don't give away any spoilers, but the premise of this is we are now in a society where superheroes have taken on, uh, well, I guess superheroes have always had some, they're like, they're part of law enforcement. Unofficial. Yes. Yeah, right? so they work outside the lines generally. And in like the case of like a Batman or Spider-Man, they are looked at as vigilantes. Um, mm-hmm. But these are superheroes that have endorsement deals. Right. It's definitely, it's, it's a corporation. They are like a business yeah. uh, venture. Right. Right. So there's no, uh, there, there's none of that animosity that that's a part of the storylines of some of the other Superheroes, we might be. This is closer to like Walmart getting into the superhero business or the Koch brothers. Yeah. So they're a huge superhero conglomerate and they lease out their, they also lease out their superhero identities for not only law enforcement, but for product placement, movies, and and any sort of public speaking. Yeah, which is absolutely, I mean, a crazy thought, but. Um, but anyway, so before we like really start, but you have to say multi-billion-dollar industry, yeah. superheroes, yeah, and 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 they will travel. They'll take a superhero that's not getting a lot of work in Idaho and move them to uh, the urban areas. Is Correct. that that's where that's where the big money is at, where the the crime right. is at. That's where you know they'll, they'll send them there. So that's that's one aspect of it. The deeper part of it is. Um, and this big corporation, they've got the elite tier of superheroes for this company. They're called the Seven. And this, uh, I guess we start out with one retiring, and there's an opening, and we get this new member in. And they've done a search, and they pick this young, uh, this young lady. Uh, and she becomes her character is uh, what is her character? Star Starlight. Well, Starlight. So her real name is Annie. Right. Annie January, and she, and, but her superhero name is Starlight. Right. So, yeah, they pick her. So it, it centers. I, I guess there are a couple of different layers to the, the you know, to the storyline. Right. Hers is is one of them. Right. She's that fish out of water, the newbie who came from the small town. Now is. This is what she wanted her whole life. And, and will the expectations of being the seven meet up with what the reality is? Right, right. 
So, and there, there are a lot of uh, issues that are brought up that really mirror <laughs> your regular workplace uh, uh, concerns, you know, sexual harassment, you know. Definitely Me Too themes going throughout this. Yes, yes, ab- absolutely, absolutely. And uh, so we don't, I'm, I'm really stopping around. I'm, I'm trying to think, do we want to say we don't want to give away any spoilers or we, we probably just need to run through this. I think we need to. I think we need Which to cancel can, it. We I, I, we need to say we're going to give spoilers because we can't really discuss it. Yeah. And it's been out a while. It's yeah. Yeah. While, so. Okay. So spoilers are off the table. We're going all in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, so that the, so the Me Too themes, which are entrenched throughout uh, throughout the series. Uh, then there is the what, what would you say the next big 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 theme is uh i guess i would go with just idol worship so the idea of again do your do your heroes live up to that expectation once you meet them and that's our other lead character who's on the opposite side um uh huey campbell who's played by the actor jack quaid right his girlfriend is tragically killed by a uh, one of the one of the seven yeah and they call him soups the soups and yeah. he was but he was a super fan he was a huge fan of the seven and and he loves soups and then when this happens he realizes that that relationship uh well the, the relationship he had meant nothing to these people so when she was killed he was just offered a short payoff to forget the whole thing mm-hmm. and then he realized that this this whole world of superheroes was a lie, and they didn't live up to what they were billing. So you you have this guy, who now is really disappointed with what the heroes represented, and so now he's trying to figure out a way to fight back. Again, in meeting with this new superhero, mm-hmm. we have the uh, the new superhero who's also kind of fighting the stereotypes or what the preconceptions she had from the inside. And so I say he's fighting it from the outside. We have to talk about right going from the theme to the actual presentation, the the visual representation of that particular that scene that death. Okay. Quite jarring, yeah. Quite jarring. So, folks, I want you to think about driving down the highway, seventy miles an hour, and seeing the bug, the you know those big June bugs or whatever, mm-hmm. and seeing it splat on the windshield. And I want you to think about a human being being put in the place of that June bug. And this is a guy. So the, the super that killed uh, uh, Huey, the character Huey's um, girlfriend, is A-Train. Right? And this guy's the fastest man in the world. Runs. He's the equivalent of, of, of Flash. Right? Mm-hmm. And they're standing on the on the street. She's... He's on the curb, standing up on the curb, and she's standing just a few inches into the street, holding her hands, and he's talking to her. And then all of a sudden, this gust of, like, a, a blur. wind, yeah, a blur or whatever, just goes by. And you see his face. The wind, it shakes his face, <laughs> you know. And then this big just spray of blood and it was just a little bit a little foreshadowing at first just a little little bit on his face 
And then you go to the side and you see the like the big drop, like like a balloon just burst. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had to rewind that a couple of times and look, because I saw saw vertebrae. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah, they they really painted a picture there, and and, and and they shot it in you know super slow mo. So yeah. when you see Huey's reaction, again his face hasn't even registered right what's going on until he looks over, mm-hmm. and like you said, you see the carnage, mm-hmm. and then that the superhero A Train yeah you know puts on the brakes, stop, and just says I, I gotta go, yeah, and that's it, and that's. That's all that Huey gets as far as an apology. I got to go. And the great touch in that scene was them panning down and showing him still holding her hands. Her severed hands. Her severed hands up, up to the forearms. Okay. And, I mean, he has just obliterated her, right? So, I mean, visually, I was like, wow, this is yeah. So, so is something else. Like you said, then you knew. We knew that like, you're in store for uh, – some craziness in this show because we're yeah. talking the first again five minutes yeah yeah and we didn't even talk about uh the queen wave and homelander um uh scene that was right before that mm-hmm. but um yeah so i think a big part of it we talked about me too being a really uh, a consistent uh thread throughout the the, the, the uh, series but also accountability and I think this is something that was directly related. I mean, as far as a commentary on how our police function, um, and of course this is you know it's way exaggerated, but it was very much kind of the same, kind of the same feeling. It was a it was a it was a settlement offered. Correct. It was yes. a halfway apology, and and then there was also as they brought up that this is something that happens all the time, mm-hmm. you know. And again, you, you find that, but it's also, you know, with, with the money, you, people with the money, people with the power, they seemed um, entitled. So you, these superheroes are part of this world of entitlement yeah. where they can get away with anything. And also, as long as they are useful to the company. Right. So that also drives these superheroes to do whatever they need to do to stay on top mm-hmm. because they also will find that they will lose the benefits Mm-hmm. that come with being the top echelon of superhero. Right. So this A-Train, he can get away with hurting somebody because he's the top. But we'll find later that if that type of situation is challenged, mm-hmm. he'll go through desperate means to stay there because he knows what will happen. If he falls down, if he loses that, then again, he's disposable. Right. He becomes nothing. When we talk about uh, other comparisons, I would also say it is to how we look at major athletes today. Yeah, I was just where thinking. where we have these guys, especially football players, um where we can in some ways we will forgive them as long as their their um behavior does not affect the league. Right. But once they're gone, they are forgotten. Mm-hmm. They they so they will get little, little help or very few resources to help keep them on their feet. And and the and you saw, the, in this show they featured lower level heroes who were down on their luck, taking odd jobs, doing, just doing whatever they could to survive, mm-hmm. and still hoping one day they could make it back up to the top. 
Yeah. I think there was a um, there was also an awareness of in a hierarchy. I think which is what you're um, mentioning, but also a um, an awareness of the kind of the, the public face and the private face, and how the public face is what you know that that's what what matters. But then looking be you know you get behind the veil. Uh, I'm thinking about the club scene. Oh, yes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the superheroes club scene, they walk in and it's all kinds of uh, debauchery going on. And as a matter of fact, this I'm not going to give away. I'll just simply say it this way, is that there was a guy who was, his in his public persona, he had very clear convictions, right? Very clear convictions, uh, religiously rooted. and But in the club, he was what he was preaching against. I mean, and I can't even explain, but I'll say this: he was he was basically like a plastic man. Yeah, the, you know? and 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 just playing off of that, I think that's yeah. what the show really tackled well. Yeah, just again the hypocrisy of celebrity. Yeah, and again, you have celebrities that may be popular just because of their looks, just because of their deeds, or because of the stance that they take, and. They really did a good job, I think, of placing these characters, these heroes in these positions where they represented the people we see nowadays who represent these these points of view and then getting behind that and seeing how that persona is so fragile. And the reality of these people could be that they are totally the opposite of what they're preaching. But again, just as long as they are placed in a position to be a microphone for the cause, they're using that to make money. Right. So it's not about the cause. It's not about what they're doing. It's about what can we do to maintain our popularity and to maintain our social, our, our, our power. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, so again, and, and get just with all these unique superheroes that they had and their attitudes, you, you slowly see, and they build this world where you see how terrible or how this power can really corrupt you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, what were your what was your initial impression of Homelander, and how did that how did that progress throughout the first season? Well, I would say so. Homelander would be like just to give a little description of him. He's sort of like Superman. He represents the American values. His costume is the red, white, and blue and an American flag. And he flies and has similar powers to Superman. The heat vision, uh, super strength, super speed, flight. So that's the guy. That's And he's the leader of the seven. He's the premier hero. Mm. So the way they presented him, which I found interesting, you know, he was he seemed to be above the fray above all the nastiness that was going on. And that's how I looked at it too. I was like, oh, maybe some of these things are happening without this guy really knowing. And so these lower level people are trying to work outside of his eye or outside of his scope. But as you continued, you, you started to see that, you know, not only was Homelander aware of what they were doing, but he relied on what they were doing to also maintain his position. So subtly, he, he went from being someone, just as a viewer perspective, you thought he could have been a good guy, and then you realize he might be the worst of them all. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was vicious. And they did a good job of that twist. It wasn't it wasn't so fast. Uh, and yeah, he was vicious and you every time he'd do something, it was it was cringeworthy. And mm-hmm. it, it it by the time you got to the end, you really were afraid of this guy because you never knew what he was capable of doing, especially because his persona was so revered by everybody. He's a guy who can get into any place yeah. and yeah. get away with anything because he is Homelander. Yeah, he's he's Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Tom Brady. <laughs> so, tell me how much, how, or did you think about the whole nature versus nurture, you know, argument with him in particular? Because everybody seemed to have well the backstories that they shared, which was really only one. We only really got to hear one backstory, uh, and that was from Annie. Well, and I guess a little bit from, uh, they didn't give her a name. The the, the girl that would just kind of go buck wild crazy on people. Oh, uh, the person who they, f- there was a person they, f- they found. Freed. They found. Yes. Is that the person you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they gave a little backstory about her, but it's, I'm about to go into major spoiler. Hey. Right. world now so just we, we are so you know, I know but we I just want to prepare people the reason these people have their powers and this, this is what you have to understand they did not it, this wasn't like the X-Men where they were genetically like their genes possessed or this, these are natural it's mutated over time right random babies were selected to be injected with a serum that gave people superpowers so, so this this company, and I think it was Voigt or V. Vought. Vought, Vought. Voigt is uh, the other one. Uh, Vought, they created super beings. And mm-hmm. then the most powerful ones, they basically signed up to represent, to represent the company. Right. Now, Homelander was one of the beings that they made. But rather than someone who was being raised by a family, he was raised by doctors. He was like the, the test. He was the test the number baby. one test mm-hmm. and the test subject. I mean, because he they raised him basically in a lab. So when you go into the nature versus nurture, I do think they touched on that because he was born in a clinical setting, had to make up all the stories about his back about his background, having a family, playing baseball, apple pie, and you know, milking the cow, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. His character invented all of it. Versus the newest character we meet, which is Annie or Starlight who really was raised in Iowa or something or something like that, but just she really had the upbringing for the most part that Homelander pretended to have. And you find out she becomes the loose cannon, meaning she does not agree with the way these superheroes are living their life and, and the cynicism that they have. She had some. She was idealistic and still tried to maintain that. So, so you see that of someone who actually lived a life versus the person whose life was invented. So I think, I think that does tie into it because then you see the certain when you learn about the backstories of some of the characters, you see how that's manifested and how they use their powers. So this one woman who had been a refugee um, was. I'd say, what do you say, like a child? She's like a child soldier. Soldier. Yeah. Was drafted into the war. And first you're supposed to think that she was evil, but you find out, yes, she was conscripted into 
a war and only did it so her family could be saved. And then they forced this, um, these powers on her so that they could invent super villains mm-hmm. to, to oppose these superheroes and, again, keep the brand going. And by they, we're into, we've already gotten to the spoiler. Um, this is a, one of those subplots that, um, that centers Homelander, right? The, you know, the, the biggest superhero of all. He has stepped away from the process of, uh, of using children, right? Or getting them, you know, in, in the womb or, you know, and he's doing it with adults, Right. He's trying to turn adults into superheroes, which he said was a really messy, which is a much more difficult uh, task. But it went right back to him. So there's a connection between how she got to where she was mm-hmm. and and his kind of clandestine activities. But I just want to correct you on one thing. He sure. wasn't making superheroes. He was making supervillains. Well, yes. Yes. <clears throat> that's, that's a very. Yeah, that's that's a good because point. he wanted because. Again, like with sports, we see sometimes mm-hmm. the NFL, the ratings go down, or Major League Baseball, the ratings go down. When you have these celebrities, especially these athletic celebrities, they got to find some way to ramp up their value. Right. So in Homelander's mind, you just he needed a supervillain in order to make the superheroes seem more important. So well, he, know, let's look. Let's. I don't know if this is semantics or not, but his purpose was to create supervillains, right? But they're only deemed to be supervillains because of where they are located. Correct. Right? Yes. It, it has nothing to do with their humanity, nothing to do with their own struggle. But simply because you have superpowers and you are in this particular area, you're automatically going to be a villain. Right. Yeah. So he had, and he was sending a train out to deliver these vials to people. Definitely people of color yeah. to take on the mantle of being very, superheroes. Another th- very I mean supervillains that is. Yeah, yeah. So how much of this of the, of, the, of this commentary or how much of this that we're looking at would people automatically recognize as, as a commentary on American foreign policy? Uh, and the way in which America the way we use our, our the way our military is used? See, I don't think they would have seen I, I mean, this is one of those things you have to step away from it a while, I think, to get, because you just get caught up on the visuals and the stories and the characters. But it's the same sort of thing that they say, you know, our government did in the 80s and 90s when they would push for regime change in certain countries, and they train all these people. Then these people that they've trained mm-hmm. then became what our government considered, you know, then they became our enemies. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've... But we went in and again in order to suit our own best interests. Right. So I'm not getting political. I'm just giving the general tone of what's happening. Mm-hmm. What happened to see that they were doing similar things in this show, but I don't think, and this is to the show's credit, mm-hmm. I don't think that it's so blatant that sort of satire about American foreign policy. Uh, or corporate greed, or a mix of both, you know, because nowadays you can't really separate, especially in this current administration, you cannot separate corporate from political. Yeah, or one private. Can, right, but I mean, definitely yeah. 
corporate controls the political because we always see how money is pushing everything. Mm. And that is how this was working. And, and, and when I say this, I mean that's how the world of of the boys was working. Corporations and the government were hand in hand. And their their actions are are directly affecting the people, as in their safety, how they can move around. And, and all of a sudden you might have these armies of superheroes mm-hmm. versus supervillains, and the people caught in the middle are the consumers because they're going to be buying all the products based on the soups. So we see that sort of satire, that play. I think they did a good subtle job of pushing in the show because, again, that's things that we're dealing with right now. Mm. I mean, I'm sure um, shares of Sharpie have spiked (laughs) a lot, you know, just with things going on in our politics. So the same way in that show – you know, action figures for Homelander make a what if he isn't part of an incident. Right, right. Or in that world. What was the... Uh, so let, let's move to the other side. We've talked a bit about the soups. We don't... Before we make that transition, let's let's go back to um, Elizabeth Shue's character. She is the the orchestrator, right? She is the... She, she It seems that she's the number two. Right. She's she's like a career bureaucrat um, in leadership, waiting for that next move. She's got access to all the levers of power uh, in in, in state, federal, local government and and entertainment as well. What what was your what was your assessment uh, of her? Um, I I mean, I thought she played that you know, steely corporate monster perfectly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought I thought it was great how she always had the answer. She was always for the company, always trying to appear as if she was the advocate of one of the superheroes. Sure. But she was their advocate as long as they did what she said and had to do with the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, yeah, she, she was number two, and she's vying for the number one spot. And it just made me think of another name of an actor for Giancarlo Esposito, who was a number one guy. Yes, And yes. you might remember him from Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so she was definitely steely, um, very cold. And she also was a person a bit insecure. I thought they played that well because mm. – there was an issue about her being a single mom. Right. Uh, she just had a child. We don't know. I forgot if we know who the father was. If that became an issue, I don't. I don't. But I remember. But it seemed yeah. the way I remember it, it was you know she's. It was more about being the strong single mother mm-hmm. who's trying to be corporate and she's doing everything. Raise, she's doing it. Yeah, all. do everything. Yeah, and. She had a very motherly relationship with Homelander, where Homelander was basically jealous of mm. the baby. Talk about so talk about a wild. That was where I was sort of going there. So yeah, there was a very Freudian thing going there. Mm. And she was—I'll say that she was very astute, very much aware of what I think what each individual's. Um, not shortcomings, but what their insecurities were. And she did a really a masterful job of manipulating 
not just Homelander, home, not just Homelander, but you know what she did with the Deep uh, as well, and even in the limited. Um, I guess she she did have some conversation with with uh, Starlight. Annie oh, Starlight yeah. as well, but she was she was a, a, a master manipulator. She was laser focused on what she had to do. Yeah, and uh, maybe to her undoing in some ways, but she I, knew so. definitely. But yeah. she definitely, uh, I, I think she was a good character, very powerful character in that sense. Mm-hmm. So, so you could play a lot of different storylines off of her, or a lot of them did, and. and she really was a great source of conflict for the characters. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I look back at her, because there were things going on, like we talk about the creating the supervillains, that was something she didn't know about, right? Mm-hmm. And for all, I mean, to, to be honest, to give a real honest assessment of who she was as a character, you could almost say that she was one of the, the good guys. Manipulative, yes. Um, no, no. Let me take that back. I just, I just thought about the this uh, scene with the senator. Um, or was it a general? Uh, yeah, it was a senator. He's a former military man. That was some dirty stuff. That was some dirty stuff. I'm gonna just give it to you right now, folks. Um, this guy's having an intimate encounter with Let's with someone with, hmm? with a beautiful young lady. Yes. So he, so he thinks, and then. Uh, it turns out that this is a super um, whose ability is to is a shapeshifter. His name is a doppelganger, and uh, it turns out that the pictures surface and it's not a beautiful young lady. It's you know, it's this older dude. Right. So definitely using those tricks to blackmail. Yeah, and he's and yeah, and his his constituency is uh, very conservative, and you know, it would be political ruination for him to have that come out and. Anyway, so but she's not with, a good guy. She's but not a with good her guy. is when she is being manipulative and deceitful, it, you feel like it's within a code and it's within a framework of I'm about making this company succeed oh, within, yeah. the, within the different levels of society. Like where can I slip my heroes in mm-hmm. and where can I get the best contract? Yep. Where when Homelander is doing what he wants to do, it's more unhinged. He's more of this macro. I, you have to threaten the world to save the world type of thing. So he's thinking big, but he's big and unhinged. He's a guy who, who's going to have, who's going to hold a nuclear bomb over your head thinking, hey, the, if I get the tension from this, hmm. not, not worried about the collateral damage. Where, um, oh, where uh, Elizabeth Shue's character... Madeline Stillwell, she's counting on people avoiding collateral damage to work with her. She's she's precise. She's like a scalpel in doing what she does. Homelander is like a club. He bludgeons his way through. And even if if his his plots or schemes are complicated, they're still still sloppy. Mm -hmm. And when it comes down to it, when it comes down to it, yeah. All right, let's move away from the supers. Right, right. Um, and let's look at just the regular folks. Starting out with uh, the character Huey, right, played by Jack Quaid. What what did you think about his his journey from uh, that first episode through the I think what was the final the eighth yeah through the eighth episode? Now, his was a fun one because I think Huey is like us the viewer, a normal looking person who 
I mean, when I say normal, just like we're not soup, we don't have superpowers, and then we could easily feel helpless. And that's how Huey was. Not only was he, I mean, when he was talking to his girlfriend before he lost her, it was sort of about how he was lost, didn't have direction, he's working in a video store, uh, his dad wants him to be more assertive, he's just a typical... Just a typical kind of. He was supposed move. to be asking for a raise, right? Right, but it couldn't muster up the right. He 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 chickened out. Courage, yeah. So he was a milk toast type of guy. Just, but as he grew, not only did he find courage within himself, but he also found abilities. He do all all of the things he did at that video store. Well, he started that helped him, you know, help out when he was inducted into the boys. When he's inducted into this gang uh, and he became more assertive to a point where he was almost threatening at the end because yeah. first he's following plants and he's coming up with plants and then then he's he's the type of person who's able to um, uh, engage or or he, he will assert himself into trouble rather than just do anything he can to avoid it to avoid confrontation Mm-hmm. So, so I thought that was this fun growth in that character, and then you know thinking about the creator being Seth Rogen, you know there are just going to be some quirky things that he does that just makes it fun and visually compelling to see. Yeah. One of my favorite lines, uh, this is in the first episode, and Huey says to uh, Billy Butcher, um, he says, "No, uh, no, thank you. I don't want to go to a second location with you." Uh, <laughs> just, I thought that was really representative of somebody who may not necessarily have been um, a go-getter, but also was kind of was smart enough to recognize that he was about to be out of out of his depth, um, and and recognize that there was a threat associated with <laughs> with with rolling with this guy. Right, right, and, and and he played it safe. That I mean, I think that was one of the things, and it wasn't just that he was non-confrontational, but it was. A, he could he could assess okay there's going to be danger here, I want none of it. Yeah, I don't want any problems. I just want to go along and get along. Mm-hmm. And I, that that's who he was before. Right. And, and then at the end he he started jumping into the fray. He will he will be the decoy. He will he will be the one to jump in the middle of the firefight. Uh, that's where he was by the end. His his apologizing. Uh, they're taking fire, right? They got, what, three or four guys, uh, you know, soldiers shooting at them, automatic uh, uh, weapons, uh, rifles, assault rifles, and he has to take the uh, rifle and, you know, and, and get up and start shooting. And he's shooting and actually hitting people, but he's apologizing at the same time. <laughs> so I, I felt like, I, I mean, it was, it was funny, um, but I also felt like, that was really representative of of who he was. That the reality was ugly that he was going into, and he was like, "No, I'm not. I'm, I don't want to change. I don't want to be this." While actually doing what people have to do in those situations, right? He stepped over the bound, or I'd say he stepped over the, or, or stepped beyond the the boundaries that he wanted to cross for himself. Whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, he wanted to be more assertive and he felt bad, you know, he didn't ask for the raise. So he's like, great with that. But he didn't necessarily want to kill a whole room full of people. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So it's, he, I mean, I get it. It's like, oh, sorry, 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 but I got to do this. Sorry, guy. Ooh, hope I didn't hurt your feelings. Right. But, but it is. It was fun the way they did that. Yeah. Um, Billy Butcher. He, and you know, I don't know if I if I really recognize Carl Urban from. Uh, do you know him from any other? Um, well, he was in the Star Trek movies. Uh, okay. He plays Bones. Uh, back in the day, he played the most recent Judge Dredd. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. He was in the movie Reds with, uh, you know, Bruce Willis and... Helen Mirren? Helen Mirren and Morgan Freeman. Okay. All right. I have to go back and, and check that. So he, he's a guy who's always... He's a lot of titles, a lot of, you know, like... The second lead guy. Oh, I know. What am I talking about? He was in Thor Ragnarok. Was he? Yes. He was Scourge. Really? Okay. Who had his guns. Um, what were his guns? Uh, uh, Des and Troy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah, and I saw a, this. All right. I have to go back and look at yeah, it. Yeah, you found him in there. Well, you yeah. realize he's been in a lot of. A lot of pieces, so yeah. and he's he's no uh, stranger to this action, comma this action world. Yeah, and and I think as we started out saying that this is something uh, that came from Seth Rogen, so there was even in those tense moments there was still always some levity uh, under the surface, and I think he did a, a good job of of being angry but funny. Uh, yeah. At the same time, and he, and I'd say his his character was the opposite, obviously of um, of Huey, where he came in rough and tumble. He's going to lie for anything, he, lie at the drop of a hat. Didn't matter. He was going to get the job done despite what anybody thought. He had no shame. He would call in people who he knew hated each other. So he was going to, but he's going to do whatever it takes. To get revenge yeah. or to take these people down. And whether it was just, that's how he started out, whether it was really just or not, he was going to rationalize it. And I think that that relationship with Huey helped him, you know, step back and, and then take pause, let's say, for some of his methods. Right. Because, and not the fact of what he was doing, but it was how he was using people to get the things done. And yeah. then I think he started to realize that he couldn't necessarily take advantage of people that same way. At least he had to be, he had to take their needs and skills into account mm -hmm. in a sense, making friendships. And I think, which is with that character, he had, he had associates, but he didn't have, uh, friends, uh, yeah. the the same way you like uh, that line about um, not going about, with you to a second location. Yeah, for him, I like when Billy's talking about the Spice Girls, <laughs> <laughs> where and he said he knows a lot about the Spice Girls, yeah. but the idea was where where as individuals, where's like ginger spice? Where's the by themselves they're nothing, but this is motivational speech. But together. Yeah. They're the, they're the Spice Girls, <laughs> a force, and that is how he got people together. Yeah. So I, I, so with that, you see, he had a sense of humor. He did have an. There was a time when he was that unifying force, and then I think he found it again later mm -hmm. on in the piece. You know, as as we're as as you're saying that, I'm 
just thinking about everything from episode one to eight. And I'm thinking now that the real theme of this whole of this whole series, this first season, is disillusionment. Whether it's from the public and how they looked at uh, superheroes, whether it was how the superheroes saw themselves and, you know, that hierarchy and the insecurities, uh, the me too, you know, how that, how that was a lot of that was disillusionment from, from the, from the guy, the, the deep, you know, piece of crap. Well, every reveal yeah. is about being disillusioned. Yes. And All I, the way to the very and, end. And I don't even want to touch that. That one I'm not going to touch. Yeah. But, disillusionment. That's. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, and 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 specifically within this world, it's I think that expression of be you know be careful about your heroes. No, your heroes will fall. Your heroes will always disappoint you yeah. because we all have different types of heroes. Whether it is a superhero, it could be your father, it could be your 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 partner, or anything like that. And in this, like all the heroes are flawed mm-hmm. to a point where they almost crush that person who worshipped them. Yeah. And and when, and then you realize all the things you've done don't mean anything because you did it in their name. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it really ties up at the end as you say that. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So we are looking forward to, and we didn't really touch on Laz Alonzo's character or the 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 Frenchman. Um, or Haley Joel Osment. Yes. Okay. So we got to take a moment. We got to take a moment. The Sixth Sense, uh, Haley Joel Osmond. Um, this dude's grown now. Now, of course, I did see him in Future Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I recognized him. Were you surprised to see him first? I off? was really surprised to see him. But what I thought was, again, just as a satire, which can that quick, it's like the superhero that he played seemed to be a mirror of his own life because his, when we're talking about the levels or tiers of superhero, his super he was a child superhero. Right. So his kid, his his child character was very popular, and he he was called Mesmer. He could touch people's hands and then tell what they were thinking or right. or, or, or get their memories. But he was as a kid, he had a television show, uh, very popular. Everybody knew who he was. And now you see him; he's at the comic book conventions. That's mm-hmm. where he's at now, desperate to get back into the game. Yeah, and not that I know if Haley Joel Osment is going through those issues, but I have. It had been a while since I saw him, and you know, I always remember him from the little kid in the Sixth Sense. Yeah, and maybe you know those days, AI Sixth Sense, um, the Jeff Foxworthy show. <laughs> Sorry, mm. Uh, mm. just kidding. But you. Uh, <laughs> but you know, he was a big time child star, and all of a sudden you see him. You, it's more novel because. You'd barely recognize them. Just the eyes. And so those eyes are. So I thought it was fun. I, I was shocked and actually pleased to see that. It was like another great cameo. Uh, because he played that character really well. Mm-hmm. And it really made me like him as the as an actor, Haley Joel. Yeah. Because I like the character that he played. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was a great surprise. I enjoyed that. Yeah, and you know what? There's a a deep sense of, I mean, when you look at these characters, where you can't help but feel sorry for each and every one of them on some level. 
Um, I mean, even the worst that, you know, they were doing some terrible stuff. But I think I think that in terms of uh, how the characters were portrayed and, and the direction, what they were able to bring out, I think that was a, I think that was an, an achievement. Um, because a lot of times when we see villains, you know, we don't, we don't want to see them as nuanced. Uh, we just want to see them as just straight bad across the board. But everybody from villain to so-called hero to everybody had some element of them that made you feel like they were in need of care. Definitely. And again, and also with a show, short run, eight episodes, sometimes when they do these things, they don't have the opportunity to delve into the characters or give them any sort of uh, depth. So you're stuck with just, you know, these two dimensional caricatures that they just drop in and you've seen it before. So, so yeah, I I agree. I think they did a good job where we could see the growth in these characters, but also with it being this short span of time, they, once they get into it, it moves pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So it, it becomes binge worthy because once you get introduced to that character, you want to see more about it. But mm-hmm. you but you get a lot in a short amount of time, yeah. which works for this type of medium for mm-hmm. streaming like that. It really works. As, you know, you 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 want to get right back in that next episode to see what's happening yeah. or to find out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, any last words about it? Um, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, overall, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was well done. Oh yeah, just just that. You know, you got to watch it to the end. And yeah, because we didn't I'm really, we did. really looking forward to the next season yeah. because they just threw out some surprises that I did not expect coming. And usually for this type of thing, you, you know what to expect. And yeah. I really tried not to run. I made a point of not checking out any spoilers, and I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. It's and we didn't spoil the end for you, so no, you will you'll be shocked too. But that's the, I'll give it that. I will give it that it had a great twist at the end so it was worth the eight episodes yeah definitely definitely well uh bubba thank you as always bro always have fun doing this all right radio slime family we thank you all for joining us remember to make sure you are subscribed to the podcast don't miss any episodes right anything don't miss it make sure you are subscribed at radio slime usa all right i'm your host and producer Tariq alamine our executive producer is abdul malik mujahid we remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of sound vision foundation with that we're going to leave you as we greeted you assalamu alaikum may the peace that only god can give be upon you